You're listening to theoutdoorstation.co.uk. Welcome to the Travel Show. It's a podcast full of hints and tips for travellers of all ages travelling to all places. In this program, we chat to Beth Cartwright, who picked South America as her chosen destination in 2006. We find out how her placement went through the Gapier company she used, and also what happened when she headed off to explore the region herself with friends she made while she was there. But first, I asked her why she chose to do a Gapier instead of going straight into university. Mainly, I had got to the point where I was completely sick of school. Um, after three years of doing constant exams, it just got to the point where I, was, I really wasn't looking forward to doing another three years of exams and whatnot. Um, and just wanted to travel, um, sort of encouraged to travel from a young age, so it seemed like the perfect opportunity. So you, you, you chose a, um, a gap year company to go through. Um, tell me about the decision-making process to, to find the company and where you actually chose to go. Um, well, largely it was to do with um, money, to be honest, um, how much I could realistically earn to um, to travel with, and because obviously I wanted to travel afterwards the placement, and so an expensive placement would mean not a lot of travel. Um, to actually work out which company I went to, it was just a lot of time spent on the web, mainly. Um, not a lot of, um, I didn't know a lot of people that had done gap years before, so I couldn't um, asked them for their advice, apart from my sister, but she didn't really recommend the company she went with. Um, so worked out to go through um, Pod mainly because it was um, quite a good deal. It was three months, um, and for the money I spent, you got a lot of trips included, and it was quite nice because it was a small company that you probably got more value for money. And and what sort of amount of money were we talking about? Um, well, the actual placement uh, was just into two grand. It was. I think 1,700-ish. Um, but with that, you got three months accommodation. You got um, trips. We had um, whitewater rafting. We went to Machu Picchu. And we also did um, a five-day trek to an Inca ruin called Chokikirao. And um, so, yeah, it was really good value for money. Okay. So, and obviously, Peru was where you just you decided to go. Yeah. I mean... Did you, I mean, was there anywhere else that sort of uh, took, uh, that you know, took your fancy for as a places to go to? Definitely. Um, <laughs> it's one of those things that, like, kid in a sweet shop, what do you go first? Um, initially, I, I just wanted to do somewhere different. I didn't want to go to the Thailand-Australia-type route, which is sort of the majority of gap years go to. Um, so I initially looked at Nepal. Um, I also thought about Sri Lanka, but that was way back when the tsunami hit, so they obviously had a lot of support, and I didn't want to go somewhere where I was just one of the others. There was, you know, a lot of people there. Um, and so sort of came across Peru by accident, really. It was just um, searching the web one day, and um, I saw a good deal for a placement and just sort of went from there, really. Did you use um, gapier.com or any of the, the sort of uh, forums where people have actually done um, these experiences and, and gave you feedback, or did you just purely go on what people were offering? Um, 
I did a lot on gapyear.com um, and when I decided that I wanted to do Peru, then I went on their forums there and actually met um, a guy that I'm still in touch with called Matt and he was ask, basically asking the same sorts of questions. So we, I mean, we were both still deciding about which company we wanted to go with. So then um, just emailed each other when we found good deals and good ideas for things to do. And I actually met up with him in whilst I was in Cusco and we're still in touch now. Excellent. So we'll, we'll come on to the trip uh, in a moment and the actual details. The Am I right in thinking that not many of your circle of school friends either took a gap year or decided to do this type of travelling? Um, well, actually, it was bizarre. Out of the um, my gap, sorry, out of my um, year group, probably the majority of the people that took a gap year were actually my circle of friends. I don't know how that quite worked out. Um, but None of my friends, bar me, actually did this type of travelling where they did a placement and then went on. Um, everyone else did just did um, a small amount of travelling, or um, so they chose to go independently and, and do their own thing. Well, a bit, yeah. It's sort of um, one of my friends went around um, America, um, and they did like the Greyhound buses across America. Um, another one went to Australia um, through a charity organisation. And then off her um, went travel travelling by herself with another friend, um, but that was it. Mainly other people that had gap years did um, a year in industry or were doing um, a foundation year for art. Oh, good. Well, so it's an active group of friends, obviously. Okay, so let's actually look at the trip itself. Uh, so, so paint some pictures for us. What time of year and when did you go? And and when did you get back? What was the length of time you were away? Um, well, I left in January two thousand six. Um, I spent three months in Peru. And then travelled for about um, six weeks afterwards. We went to um, Bolivia and Argentina. And I came back um, right at the end of May. So I was back in England for June. OK, OK. Well, let's look at the actual placement first of all. Um, you went with Pod. Um, you, you obviously flew out on your own, or did you meet up with people at the airport? And, and then, you know, just just tell us, introduce us to, to what it was like actually work going with them and arriving and, and getting the, uh, the placement and, you know, starting the ball rolling. How yeah. did it all feel? Well, it was um, quite nice, actually. Pod organised um, a, a weekend where everyone got together. Um, in, in the UK? In the UK, yeah, in Cheltenham. Um, which is where the pod's based. And um, so we got to know people there. And obviously, when people, more and more people join the company, then we were sent their emails. So we were in touch via email. Um, so we met up with, we got the plane together with um, three other people, which was um, Joe, Cara, and Amy. Um, so it was 35 hours, I think, travelling all together. So we got to know each other quite well. God, it's a long time. trip, yeah, isn't it? It was three flights and a lot of delays and waiting, but you know, good fun. Um, so that we tell you arrived, and uh, <laughs> you know what was it like when you arrived? Very basic or exciting? Um, panic? Nervous? Um, well, the last flight was great because it was actually right in the morning, so we got a nice um, view over the Andes as we flew from. Because when we flew down to Lima, it's a lot. It was very, very desert, um, so we got to see complete change in scenery. And by the time we got to um, Cusco, it was just completely green, nice undulating hills and mountains, and. Um, when we landed, it was to the um, sounds of um, panpipes, which you do hear a lot when you walk around Cusco. Um, and we got there, and obviously you get the normal taxi drivers trying to get your attention and trying to get... Um, and we weren't actually um, met at the time. Mike was running a little bit late, so we weren't quite sure what we had to do, so we just like stood outside trying to avoid all the taxi drivers, and it's a little bit chaotic after that much travelling, but it's good. 
So, so you met and he eventually turned up, yeah, presumably, yeah, and, and took was, you to accommodation. He was only two minutes late. Um, but we were taken, we met um, the representative that's out there, and she um, picked us up. That was Elena. Um, and they took us back to her hostel, which is where we stayed the first week. Um, and then basically settled in, and then he took us around Cusco and got to know the sights and sounds and left us to chill for a bit, really. Excellent. Okay. Uh, and just very briefly, the, the accommodation, what sort of quality was it standard uh, through the whole placement? Um, well, we started off at Castellana, which was great. Um, and then we moved into um, our apartment. There was 11 of us in our group. Um, it, Mike had found a place that used to be a hostel, um, so we managed to live together. That's 11 people and a one house, which was definitely interesting. Um <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and so what, you, you were cooking for yourself and, and that sort of thing? Yeah, we were cooking for ourselves. Um, and we had a lot of visitors in the form of mice, um, which especially one of the girls hated um, when the boys, as you do, um, decided to be a bit blue peter and made um, a mouse trap, which actually worked. I was really surprised with a bucket and a um, piece of plank of wood and a lot of cream cheese. Um, and then they made a mouse house out of some cardboard... And you know, as you do. And but I mean, so the the actual accommodation itself then was it fairly basic by normal Western standards? I mean, w w the apartment sounds very grand, but it's obviously yeah. not a, f a five star apartment. No, it's not five star particularly. I mean, it was it's it was basic. There was I mean, it's very bright and colourful. We had a nice courtyard. We could all um, sit around. But I mean, there was times when it rained, and um, me and Joe, the girl that I shared the room with, we were woken up and middle of the night from the rain because it was dripping on us and we had to move the beds around and get a bucket out and um so clean tidy yeah. safe but not necessarily 100 no, percent dry not complete amenities but you know okay okay well, let's actually go on to the actual placement now um because uh, i know you had a few problems with that um what was the intention or where you were you thinking you were going and where did you actually end up <laughs> well um i started off at um working at a boys orphanage teaching english well, that was the theory anyway um unfortunately we'd been um sort of double booked by the nuns that ran the orphanage um so there was another gap year company turned up and they had no idea we were coming and we had no idea they were coming so um effectively we were unemployed for about two weeks um whilst we sort of figured out what we were going to do next but it was a nice gap because we did have opportunity to travel around um at the same time so it wasn't completely bad um and um we ended up working in a baby's orphanage um, in Cusco in the outskirts, which retro retrospectively, I'm really glad it worked out that way because I had probably more of a, um interesting time doing that sort of work. It's something that I would not necessarily think about doing in the UK. So you really, did you feel you made a big difference there or you definitely were helping as opposed to they were just tolerating you? Yeah, I definitely felt like they were helping. I mean, the nurses we worked with, um, they were lovely. They were so friendly and really encouraged you to help out. And especially with your Spanish, if you tried, they would try. And from that, they sort of tell you more about the children and where they come from. And I mean, I was looking after um, a three-year-old um, baby one day who was found in a dumpster. And the next day um, we were told about um, my favourite baby called Janet. She learned to smile whilst I was there. Um and found out that she her mum was seven I'm sorry, her mum was twelve when she was pregnant and thirteen when she was born. Gosh. Which yeah, I, you, it's crazy to believe, but I mean it's Catholic society, so obviously it's still quite frowned upon to have babies. 
That sort of out on marriage and yeah. so on. Yeah. And and what sort of powerful memory have you got of of the actual orphanage um, that will stay with you for the rest of your life from that actual placement? I think it's just the craziness. As soon as you step through the door, that kids would be coming up, and there was um, <laughs> one one of the older kids because it was, it was babies, but they also um, from toddlers. There was different groups, and the older kids that lived there went off to school in the daytime. So normally there was always people coming in and out. And um, one of the kids had just learnt um, some new English words, so each day would change. It'd be like teacher monkey or elephant monkey, or just the just uh, it's just lovely, really, really bright atmosphere, and the kids so smiley and it's lovely. Very, very simple, very and very humble. I should imagine the sort of uh, the feeling that it, it makes you feel. Definitely, I mean, like, you walk in and there's a wall plastered with um, pictures of all the kids that have been there. And you just look at the sheer number of them, and but they're, they're all smiling. It's all very, very genuine, and it's such a nice atmosphere. So, so why were there so many, so many orphans? Well, it was a combination of reasons, really. Um, I mean, there's a lot of villages still outside of Cusco, so I mean, the, the parents send down their kids because they just assume you're going to have more of a chance of um, a better future if you're in the city. But that means there's going to be a lot of more street kids, and the younger ones get picked up by the police and taken to orphanages. Um, but there's also obviously the Catholic society that babies outside of wedlock is extremely frowned upon, so they'll abandon them in dustbins or just abandon them on the street, and which are picked up by again by the police. That's mainly where they get the babies from at the orphanage. Um, which is, you know, it's terrible, but at the same time, the, the babies are so well looked after you, sort of, in a way, I suppose they're in a better advantage. So they're, they're actually, they were doing a really good job. They're a really, really good job. I mean, the people that owned it um, were two sisters, and they were Spanish. So it was, compared to a lot of um, Peruvians, they were quite well organised, which is, it was really nice to see. <laughs> So during your time, you you were there for the three months, obviously doing some uh, contributing uh, to the to the orphanage. Um, there must have been the social scene as well in uh, with the apartment, especially with a, a house full of or a, an apartment full of Europeans. Um, what is it, what sort of things did you get up to? You must have had a social life in the evening yeah. and so on. Well, it was um, we were very lucky about where our uh, our house was situated. It was two minutes from town centre and so naturally we had to sample the nightlife and got to know a few people in the clubs as you do um, and one of the people I travelled with um, that I met over there um, was very much into her salsa so um, sort of went along, went to a few nights with her and just ended up getting hooked um, on learning salsa which is so much fun um, I and mean, so when you entered the, these clubs, were you dancing with um, Peruvian, Peru, Peruvians? Peruvians, yeah. yeah. Were you dancing with Peruvians or, or Europeans or, or what? Um, Peruvians. Um, I mean, once we sort of got onto the... There's like a salsa scene, and we found the clubs where the locals go and sort of met a group of people that we met up with a lot, and it was like you had someone to dance with, and most people were quite happy to dance with you, especially being sort of Europeans and sort of novelty value type <laughs> dancing um but they were really happy to teach you and through my pigeon spanish and their pigeon english we sort of got by which is great and um I mean, cusco and peru is is always comes up with you've got to be careful and and look after your security and watch your your belongings and that sort of thing uh, during this period of time and the time you were traveling how how did your personal how did you feel about your personal security just purely in in peru 
Um, purely in Peru. I mean, as long as you look after yourself, um, look out for telltale signs, you know. I mean, I was, um, I travelled to Arequipa with a friend whilst I was in Peru. And, I mean, there was one incident that we got followed. Um, it was only um, for, I don't know, two minutes or something. But we were definitely being followed, so we just went to a, headed to a place where there was lots of people and actually confronted the person because they were right behind us and they sort of just thought we were someone else, basically. It was as simple as that, but definitely put the wind at both of us um, and made us a lot more conscious. So you kept your eyes open. What about the uh, the, the drink uh, situation? I mean, presumably you've got to make sure you don't get yourself... Uh, don't drink too much and lose awareness of where you are and what's around you. Yeah, but I'm sure that's the same. I mean, that's the same wherever you go. If you're out clubbing in England, it's exactly the same. Um, I suppose you want to look after your drink as much as you would do in England with the whole drugging situation and things. Um, but I didn't really find that an issue as such. It was more the drug aspect that you probably need to be more of aware of, especially in South America. So, yeah, let's let's go on to that. Were you aware of much of a drugs culture? Um, definitely, because it's, I mean, it's South America, so obviously there's quite a large coke trade. I mean, it was simple enough that we'd be out dancing in a club with the, the girls that I live with, and um, one of the girls was approached, and a guy whispered in his ear as we were dancing, and she waved him off, and I, you know, asked, asked her afterwards what he actually said, and she's like, oh, he just asked me if I wanted coke. I mean, it's, it's that simple, um, and I... I met people that actually were set up by their dealer. Um, they were sold drugs um, in a club, and a guy had watched them um, take the drugs, um, and so was effectively the mark for the police. So when they went outside, the police picked up who was ever with that mark, and ended up um, they had to fork out. I think it was five hundred sol, so it was about two hundred fifty pounds. Um, you know, to stop the police from stop it from going any further, but I think. So that was a bribe, basically. Yeah, a bribe um, to stop it happening. And I mean, I heard other people that I've met, stupid things have happened from being high. Um, one guy fell 15 feet through a glass roof and broke his arm, which meant he couldn't go travelling afterwards. So obviously it does really affect... You need to think carefully about whether you go in for that when you're abroad. I mean, there's so many other things you could do with your time and money. I just think there's better things to do, really. <laughs> yeah, good, nice to hear that. Okay, so you, you've been there for three months now, and uh, I guess from what you were saying and the pictures I've seen and, and the conversation we've had, you were really happy with the placement and, and Pod were, were very supportive. Yeah, it was really, really good. I'm glad I went with a smaller company because you did get a much personalised um, trip. Moving on now to the, um, to the fact you then spent travelling, um, and presumably when you left the UK you didn't have any set plans of who you are going to travel with and so on. How did you decide who to travel with and, and what, how did it all come about to move, uh, move further south? Well, it was mainly who actually wanted to travel out of the group. I mean, we had swapped emails and when we met up, we sort of said a rough idea about the who wanted to travel and where we wanted to go. And we sort of did a few um, trips whilst we were in Peru at weekends and I went to see the sites in Peru whilst I was there. So effectively we were doing travelling whilst we were in Peru, which is quite nice because you sort of build up your confidence to it because we felt like we knew Peru quite well and you just feel more comfortable and more confident, really. Um, and then by the time we got to Bolivia, there was a group of um, five of us, which is quite a nice group to start off with. Um, and this, this was all girls, presumably? Yeah, all girls. And, um, I mean, our first bus journey away from Cusco, <laughs> uh, we had to actually fight our way onto the bus, but luckily we had a Geordie with us, so that was no, no problem whatsoever because one of the other buses was cancelled, so um, there was literally only a few spaces, so 
Sophie pushed her way to the front and <laughs> we were on the bus. It was great. So there's none of this English reserve stand back. Oh, it's no. hands on and fight your way in, isn't Definitely. it? Definitely. She was elbows and everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, you obviously felt uh, comfortable travelling with, with your companions. Um, and I, I guess it was... Uh, you felt safe because you built that confidence up as well. Um, you went to, went to where, where, where else did you go down to? Um, well, we started off, um, left Peru, went to Bolivia. Um, so we went to the capital, La Paz, and that's where I did, um, the death road, which is supposedly the world's most dangerous road. So you did death road. So what's death road? Um, it's a 63k bike ride. Um, and you start off from just outside La Paz. Um, downhill um very vertical and it's um sheer drops all the way it's there's only enough space on the road for one-way traffic and yeah there's two-way traffic and you bike you on the bike um but it was really safe really good fun and very dusty day to be honest <laughs> <laughs> and uh, i presume you went with a respectable company for to do that with yeah i mean I'm, i forked out more than a lot of the other companies were asking because i wanted to go with a better company that had the better brakes the better you know you'd Safety gear, helmets, yeah, and so on. You hear things from other travellers. You like, I just want to keep things safe because I'd rather spend an extra twenty dollars and not die. Really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're picking information up as you go along from other travellers. Yeah, that's the best way, I think. Excellent. And then uh, where else did you go? Um, and then after um, we did La Paz, we went to uni and did the Salt Flat tour. Um, I've seen the pictures of that. That looks absolutely amazing. It's just sort of a reflected. Uh, the, 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 it looks like glass. It's amazing. It's if anyone goes to South America, that's the one thing I would recommend to anyone. I mean, Machu Picchu and everything is stunning, but this is just incredible. It was a we did a three day jeep tour, and each day the scenery just changed tremendously. The first day it was it looks like snow, but it's actually um, sheets of um, salt and sheer blue skies and. Um, at the end of the first day, it was the water was um, over the salt and it actually perfectly reflected the, the the sky. It was just incredible. It looks like a mirror. I know. And then um, the next day, it was felt like you should be in a western. It was desert and the bubbling rock um, from all the lava. So it was all misshapen, contorted um, rocks. And and then the last day, we were up. It was almost six six thousand meters, um, and it was snow. And I couldn't believe we woke up at five a.m. And it was snowing. Um, it was just incredible. And we outside the picture you think you're Ooh. referring to is outside Lake uh, Lagoon, um, Lake Lagoon Verde, and it's just like glass, as you said. Incredible. It looks looks magnificent. Um, and you said you went down to Argentina. Presumably, you're keeping your salsa up as you're doing all this. Yeah, we. Um, I mean, I, from in Argentina, we just stuck to the north. Really, um, I spent a lot of time in a place called Salta, just sort of recovering after um, travelling. We did quite a lot in um, to get through Bolivia. And then went to Iguazi Falls, which is um, straddles the Brazil and Argentinian border. Um, and then down to Buenos Aires, where we, of course, go to a salsa club. You've got to keep it up, haven't you? Um, but Buenos Aires is just stunning. It's like a European city, but with South American prices, really. And it's El Cabris, which I was really missing by the time I got to Argentina. <laughs> yes, you've gone really too far away from your chocolate. Yeah. Um, the, um, the, I've seen some other pictures as well where you were sandboarding and uh, um, white water rafting and jungle and so on. Was that always as you were doing the travelling? Yeah, it's sort of as you go along. I mean, um, I did the sandboarding when... Um, I was in Peru. This is one, on one of the trips, um, and 
we went to the Nazca lines and above the Nazca lines um, you've got a place called um, uh, Ica and around Ica you've got a lot of sand dunes um, the actual place I went to is uh, Huacachina and it's just incredible it's so much fun I'd recommend it to anyone even if you haven't done boarding before um, and what else so is it like a big big steep drop off off a big sand dune is it basically yeah, it yeah pretty much I mean we did sand dune um, in Nazca which no one actually told us it was the highest dune in the world which is called Sarah Blanca um, so we trekked from um, at 5am for three hours carrying a sandboard which in retrospect was seemed a bit stupid really I don't know why we did it but we got to the top and um, we actually sandboarded for an hour downhill and this is not going slowly this is it was a bloody big hill um but that was incredible and then by the time we got to um Huacachina, we were natural so it's all fine <laughs> <laughs> fantastic and then the the white water rafting and the jungle trip that i saw pictures of was that um earlier on with the with pod or was that still independently traveling well we did one white water rafting with pod um and then uh, before we left peru uh, some several of us out the group i think probably about 10 of us went to um a place called manu which is a res- um, bioreserve, which has affiliations with POD. And um, so they set us up, basically, and we had um, five days in the jungle. We were doing treks, we did whitewater rafting, we did um, a 50k bike ride, again, which is pretty painful. <laughs> um, but it was all completely different experiences. You got a completely different view of Peru. And you, it's, it's, I can't explain how quickly it changes the scenery. Like, you're in the jungle one minute, you're in the Andes, you're in the desert. It's it's really great. Lovely country. Well, it sounds like you had a, a fantastic trip, and obviously the, the people you were sharing it with, they must have come away with the same same impressions. Yeah, definitely. I think we're all sort of got the travel bug now. We can't, can't wait to find somewhere else to go. Okay, well, as in with all types of travelling, you've obviously came back safe and well, but there must have been a few hairy moments where you suddenly thought, I'm out of my depth here. Mm. You must have a few of those. Tell us a few about that, some of those. Well, there was a very hairy moment with the taxi. Um Whilst we were in Peru, the presidential election was on, so it became quite commonplace to see um, riot police and to see um, protests a lot, especially in Cusco, because that's quite a main um, city. But we were out in Arequipa, me and Joe, um, and we were trying to... We had booked a plane to get back to um, Cusco, and so we needed to get to the airport, and so we asked the people at the hostel to book us a taxi because we couldn't find any on the street for some reason. And they basically said that it wasn't possible because there was a strike on or they they, they were just telling us there was no strike taxis. Um, so we were like, OK, we'll get out onto the main road. I'm sure we'll find one. Managed to flag a taxi down and he charged us a ridiculous amount. But we were like, we just need to get there. It's fine. Um, got around the corner and um, suddenly realised there was no nothing on the road. So we were like, oh, this is a bit weird. Go around the corner again and suddenly... Um, lots of stationary taxis and a lot of angry taxi drivers started um, jumping on our taxi and banging the the roof and the windows and everything and if it wasn't for a police escort I don't think we would have got to the um, to the airport um, which was a bit dodgy and when we saw the news later on and realised there was actually a transport strike so obviously the guy that was driving us was breaking the strike hence the angry taxi drivers but at the time we just had no idea what was going on it was a little bit scary just to put the wind up you completely definitely really really not good oh there's lots of little stories um from my time spent there um one of which there was an overnight bus um and it was going along some very bumpy roads um the chairs had reclined so there was a chair quite close to my face um 
having quite a vivid dream and sort of going on a few potholes. And um, so obviously the bus started shaking. Um, and in my dream, a man was trying to wake me up and shaking me and was a bit scary at the time. So obviously I let out a scream, forgetting that I was actually on a bus full of strangers. Um, and a few of the girls that I was travelling with were behind me and they screamed because I screamed. And then there was other yelps across the bus and babies crying. And I was just trying to sink further and further in my seat and pretend that I was asleep. Um, and in the morning, um, when we stopped the bus, they're like, oh, did you hear the scream? What happened? What's going on? And I was like, I just had a bad dream. <laughs> but, you know, it's just one of those things you remember. Um, similarly, there was, in throughout February, there's um, a lot of festivals in Peru. And um, no one had told us that it was water, water bombing season. And it's something to do with the build-up of um, Easter and something along those lines. I'm not sure exactly. And um basically means that Every time you're walking on the street, there's going to be water bombs thrown at you, especially being a gringo and relatively young gringo girl, your prime target. And it sort of culminates on this one Sunday. Um, and luckily, we on our um, the house we lived in, we had a balcony, so we were like, right, payback time, aerial attack, brilliant. Um, but then they sort of cleared out, all the kids that were playing in the street, they cleared out because they knew that we were there. So we were like, right, okay, we'll take this outside. So I went outside. Um, went to a vantage point up the steps um, and suddenly the guys come around the corner that we knew from the, one of the nightclubs and suddenly me and this other girl, Katie, um, we ended up in the fountain. Not quite sure how that happened, but a group of lads ended up putting us completely in the fountain, throwing buckets of water over us. And the lads that we were with, you know, you'd think they'd protect us. I don't know, they just stood and watched and oh, they, they took some photos as well. But it's good times, really good fun. So lots of good memories there. Though. Definitely, really, really good. Uh, and uh, the actual trip itself, um, you obviously, at the end of the day, you're, you're that, away from that length of time. You've got, um, I suppose, expensive Western goods and the money issues and so on. What about the security um, for your own personal safety, but also for your belongings? Did you feel at all concerned about those? Um, I mean, we'd heard a story, um, as you do, especially in Bolivia, that's quite out of the South American countries, that's the poorest. Um, and... I met a girl who was just carrying everything in um, a big shopping bag, and I was like, oh, where's your rucksack? And she's like, oh, it was nicked off a bus. I mean, it's that simple for someone um, whilst you're stationary just to, instead of getting their bag off, they get your bag off. So, I mean, I made sure that I you, you do watch your baggage wherever you are, put your feet through the straps, just because it's so easy to to happen to you. And so, like, when the bus stops, do you get off the bus just to make sure your bag stayed in the, in the hold? Yeah, I mean, if I made sure I... When you're seated, if you're seated above the baggage hold when the bus stops, make sure you're watching the window and get out if you, the bus stops completely. And like, um, and it's just mainly be aware. A lot of people you would wander off if you're in a bus terminal. Make sure someone's always on the bags. Sit on the bags is the easiest way. Or keep. Um, I mean, we saw locals um, in bus stops with the rucksacks in front of them as the, we do. I mean, if the locals are doing it, that tells you something. Mm, I see, definitely. And what about money? I mean, how did you carry the money that you needed for the trip and what did you do on, on that score? Um, well, I took out um, some dollars in cash before I got there and made sure I changed them um, before I left the airport when I entered Peru. Um, how much? I mean, just sort of what, what amount were you carrying with you? I think I had about $300, um, some in my actual baggage, some on me. I'm um, just keeping it split up. It's probably the definitely the best advice 
just in case anything gets lost. Um, I had a few traveller's checks, which I used towards the end of my trip, but they were a good backup. And I had um, a debit card, which worked abroad, or was supposed to work abroad, but I found some of the banks it didn't actually work at. And there was one point that I did get stuck, but luckily the person I was travelling with could lend me some money. But if that hadn't been, I would have been quite struck. So you use, what, internet banking to transfer money from a, one account to the other for your debit card in case you got the debit card stolen? Yeah, um, I think the best advice is to keep have a savings account with the majority of your savings in there, but have no access to it. So, you know, if someone does nick your card, then you're only going to lose a few hundred pounds that are actually in there. Um, and so you've got another lump sum that you can transfer over. And, I mean, a lot of um, in- insurance companies nowadays, you can um, give you instant money if you do lose your card i mean we um i think i have card protection plan which they've got so many places all across the um world that you can get money from if you need to and finally on the subject of money um i'm sure most people will be interested to know it's 2006 you did this how much did it all cost and can you just break it down into sections um well my flight was 800 um i bought another flight from argentina to back to peru because my flight was to and from Peru, and that was about 200. The placement was 1,750, I think. Um, and I took out 300, I'm oh, sorry, 3,000 um, I'd earned as spending money, and I came back with 500. So whilst I was out there spending money, this is including my flight, that's including um, my jungle trip, which wasn't cheap. It was, I think it was about 300 pounds. Um, and so I spent 2,500 in five months. And do you feel that was good value for money? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I didn't cut corners. I had a good time and did what I wanted to do, but it's it's still quite relatively cheap. So, I mean, you do get value for money. For the five months that you, you were away, did you find that you took the right amount of equipment or the, took the right sort of things to cover you for that amount of time? Uh, and what would you advise people taking and not taking? Um, I mean, mostly I had everything right. Um, there's a few things, like I did a few treks in the jungle, which I, I expected to do. Um, so I took a mozzie net and the places actually provided them because we obviously went with reputable companies. So in that sense, I mean, it, it's quite bulky. Um, other things I took, the down jacket, which I didn't use so much in Peru. There was a few times that it was cold at night and it was nice, but there was also, there's loads of alpaca with jumpers, which are quite cosy. Um, but when I carried on traveling, that was when it became really really useful because on buses a lot of them get quite cold at night windows aren't that great and especially if you sat next to a drafty door or something um and also in bolivia really really useful there um because as we were going further south obviously it was the time of year it was getting into their winter so it was a lot colder um down sleeping bag very useful compact but um i only used it a few times when i was doing treks but then again i was brilliantly warm on tech tracks so i mean it was useful but it depends if you want to give up that space for potential shopping really um i had a 200 jacket um that was really good nice and lightweight and compact and the thing with all the waterproof things, jacket so, waterproof did, jacket, so did, yeah. you didn't, did you need it much yeah you did there was i mean those downpours um but it was there was nothing too torrential that that wouldn't withstand um and the, the thing you need to consider is if you do lose it or if you you didn't, you think, oh, I'll just buy some, one out there, you can buy waterproofs and stuff, but they're nowhere near as good or as compact. So, again, you're losing out on space in your rucksack. Um, 
yeah, and the rucksack itself is quite important because obviously you want enough space to go out there with enough space that you can put things in it and postage. It's a nightmare. I mean, I thought if I, you know, do a lot of shopping in Peru, I can always send them back. But postcards cost like ten, uh, postcards cost a pound just to send one. I mean, it was ridiculous. A few of my friends sent boxes back and that cost them 50 quid over the top. And it wasn't guaranteed to get there because it's not exactly the most... So, so you were fairly lucky then, presumably, that you that you took the right sort of amount of stuff that that you still had space in your bag when you left here, yeah, um, and you didn't have to send things back. So the things you didn't need, I presume, you just gave away or or, or whatever. Yeah, I had a bit of a clear out before I left um, Crisco, and all the clothes that I'd bought or had completely fallen apart, I just threw basically and um, left it in certain places or gave it the I gave it to the rep who um, gave it to the orphanages we worked there. Um, and I mean, you do trade things as you go along. Okay. And what about essential items? Things that day to day items which you take for granted, perhaps you might be able to pick up there. Did Did you have any problems getting basics? Um, got to um, Peru. No, sorry, got to Bolivia and had a f- um, female issue. So I needed to go and find some tampons, um, and didn't really put into consideration that not everywhere has tampons or even sanitary towels. I had to really search um, one night and luckily um, a few of my friends sort of kept me going until I found somewhere. Um, But yeah, you need to really consider where you're going and if you're due to come on, then you need to stockpile. Um, Other useful things is um, alcohol cleaning gel, just a little bottle, because there's a number of times you go to a toilet or something, you don't really want to wash your hands in the water or there isn't a tap or you just had something you want to eat something but with your hands but you, you know it's just cleanliness it's really really useful um those really cheap like two pounds for a small bottle um also tissues always always carry tissues it's incredible like the number of times they're just useful tissues or a toilet roll i would say those are my top tips <laughs> definitely well, practical things that make life uh, more pleasant certainly now, for anybody that's considering Peru or South America in any format, you'd recommend it to, to people considering it for a gap year? Oh, definitely. I'm, think, I'm considering going back there. <laughs> I'm looking at um, going to Central America next year um, and hopefully make my way down again. But it's, I mean, it's such a huge country and it's so diverse. It's, oh, it's stunning. And they're vibrant, vibrant, happy people? Yeah, it's Latino culture, isn't it? You can't help it. <laughs> Get involved, do a bit of salsa. The final question has to be, you spent six months away. It's a fantastic time. Um, experienced, obviously, wildly new and different things in a, in a different cult, uh, country with a different, completely different culture. Um, how do you think it's benefited you? I think um, I've learned, just to sound cliche, but I've learned a lot more about myself and how I work within a group. And I mean, it's prepared me a lot for uni in the sense that, um, I mean, people that who went to uni last year and they've said, oh, are you nervous about going to uni? And I'm like, well, no, because I've lived away from home for six months with a completely different set of people in a completely different atmosphere and I it's like I survived it really and had a really good time whilst doing it so I think it's prepared me a lot for later life and talking to other cultures and different people it's I mean I couldn't recommend it enough and does has your peer group the people you're actually traveling with that went to um, to Peru and shared some of the experiences with you have they come to the same conclusion definitely um, um, one of the girls that I traveled with um, came back for three days and went traveling to um, Europe for a month um, and so she's only just got back and we're all talking about going to South America Central America again and just going back everywhere and anywhere like I think it's just started a new 
desire for all of us, <laughs> really. Well, thanks, Richard, for your time. That's been really interesting, and uh, I hope that uh, when you next complete the next batch of your travels, oh, yeah. you perhaps come back and have another chat with us. No worries, definitely. My thanks to Beth for sharing her trip experience, and I'm sure we'll be hearing more from her again in the not-too-distant future. If you're interested in visiting the POD website, you can find it at www.thepodsite.co.uk or click the link next to this podcast on our website. Until next time, folks, don't forget to travel lighter and travel further. Find out how easy it is to subscribe to all our free programmes. Visit our website at theoutdoorstation.co.uk.